Warning! The following installment of the Dead Sea Scrolls is boring! So you should ignore it if you don't want to listen to something that is boring! But I assure you that the next installment is where we get to the really heinous stuff! So while this particular installment is meant for nerds, hang on till next week for people who want real raw Qumran excitement. Well, dang. Could have done better on the timing with that one, guys. Sorry. Uh, it's fine, it's fine. Anyway, hope you all enjoy this installment here. And if you don't because it's boring, we will get to some of the really, really, really bad stuff next week. That's all I wanted to say. Until then, catch y'all on the flip side. Karain. Hello everybody. Welcome back to our Dead Sea Scrolls series here. Today we are going to be starting up the examination of just how faithful these Dead Sea Scrolls really are in their translations of Holy Scripture, in their scrolls, so to speak. Today we are going to start out with their Aramaic Bible translations, what's called a Targum. You see, when Hebrew started to decline as a spoken language, Aramaic was stepping up. And that meant that if you wanted your people to have a paraphrase of scripture, you could have that. And yeah, you could have people translate the text into Aramaic, but that was difficult. It was hard to come by. So you had these interpretive targums, these little paraphrases and summaries for the laity while the rabbis or the priests had the actual scriptures on hand. That said, there were attempts in Qumran to actually translate the text into Aramaic. And this is important because the Dead Sea Scrolls have this reputation of being the product of super faithful scribes, you see. They knew their Bible. Now, there are legit translations of scripture or legit copies of things like the book of Isaiah in the Dead Sea Scrolls. The reason that these are in such good condition, though, those scrolls of Isaiah, is because these people didn't actually read their Bibles. And when they did, they liked to make some fun, goofy changes that kind of go against the reputation of them as being faithful witnesses to Holy Scripture. The first example of this is their translation of Job, which we don't have the full thing, we have fragments, but you get the idea from there. Job 40, verse 12, in the ESV reads, Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low, and tread down the wicked where they stand. Okay, in the Hebrew Bible that's translated to English, that's look on everyone that is proud and bring him low, and tread down the wicked where they stand. Alright, so there's uniformity between the Hebrew Bible and the ESV. Here is the translation from the Dead Sea Scrolls. And every proud spirit you will smash and extinguish the wicked below them. Well, not much uniformity there. Why would the Qumran community take the Aramaic and go, hmm, you know what this needs? And from the Hebrew, I mean, it sounds like he's going to be <laughs> doing some stuff here. Uh, he's going to bring the proud low, but you know what this really needs is some violence. God smash. We need some smashing here. So let's put that in our translation. Well, that doesn't look very good regarding uh, faithful witnesses to what scripture says. 
But we go here to uh, Job chapter 42, and starting in verse 9, we see with the Hebrew Bible translated to English, it says, So Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite, went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters, and all who had known him before, and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy, and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money, or sheep, and a ring of gold. Let's read that in the ESV. So Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite, went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters, and all who had known him before, and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy, and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. Okay, more or less the same. I know the Hebrew Bible translation from the particular scrolls going there uh, says sheep in addition to rings. Okay, big deal. Not really something that influences the text. But let's hear how Qumran liked to translate this uh, pastiche here from Job chapter 42. Dot, 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 fragmentary text. God, God heard the voice of Job and forgave them, his friends, their sins because of him. And God returned to Job with mercy and doubled all that he had owned. All his friends, brothers, and acquaintances came to Job and they ate bread with him in his house and they comforted him for all the misery that God had brought on him, and each gave him a ewe lamb and a ring of gold. Well, interesting to say, this is different. It's not hard to translate something from Hebrew to Aramaic and to see that here is what God says, right? And God, the Lord accepted Job's prayer in the Hebrew Bible and the ESV, God heard the voice of Job and forgave them his friends their sins because of him. It's not hard to see. Okay, you have your translation text. It's not difficult. Now, you might opine, though. Pastor, what about the Septuagint? Were they translating into Aramaic from the Septuagint? Great question. Let's open up the Septuagint, which I have a copy of it, and see if it reads the same. So here is Job chapter 42, beginning in verse 9, in the English translation of the Septuagint. So Eliphaz the Themanite, and Bildad the Shalchite, and so far the Menaean, went and did as the Lord commanded them, and he pardoned their sin for the sake of Job. And the Lord prospered Job, and when he prayed also for his friends, he forgave them their sin. And the Lord gave Job twice as much, even the double of what he had before, and all his brethren and his sisters heard all that had happened to him. And they came to him, and so did all that had known him from the first. And they ate and drank with him, and comforted him, and wondered at all the Lord had brought upon him. And each one gave them a lamb, and four drachmas weight of gold, even of unstamped gold. Well, so the Septuagint says, four drachmas of gold and unstamped gold. So here's a nugget, Job. Here is your golden nugget. And Job says, thank you. The Septuagint is going to be a very, very, very different translation from the Hebrew Bible or the ESV, 
But even that has differences with what the Qumran community is writing here. Because the Qumran community says each gave him a ewe lamb and a ring of gold, not four drachmas of gold, not unstamped gold. Um, the Septuagint is going to be different, sure, but they're not going off of this, unless the Qumran community isn't being careful in their translations. They're not matching the Hebrew Bible, they're not matching the Septuagint, they're not matching our modern translations, which try to go off of things like the Masoretic Text and the Textus Receptus, and even the Vulgate. So what is it that they're going off of? If I had to hazard a guess here with what they've done in translating Job, well, they've they just got lazy. They were just plain stinking lazy with how they were translating it. Maybe they were going off of the Septuagint, which kind of sounds at first a little bit like what uh, Qumran wrote down. But then they were like, I don't want to write drachmas. I don't want to write unstamped gold. So I'm just going to write a, a ring of gold because the, the Hebrew Bible says that and that makes more sense. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses did for their quote unquote Bible translation. The Jehovah's Witnesses came out with their uh, WLT, I think it's called, their, their world translation, where it's clear that the individuals who put this together did not actually speak or read or write in the languages that Holy Scripture was written in, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. So what they did was they took a bunch of Bible translations on hand, picked the translations that they liked of various verses, copied and pasted it, you know, cut and pasted it with some glue or something. And then when they came to a verse that counter signals their particular theology, they monkeyed with it. Because no actual manuscripts say the kind of things that the Jehovah's Witness Bible says. None of them. But you know how it is. <laughs> so this is bad because this is Qumran apparently doing that. You can see in their translations... Some things they take from the Septuagint saying, oh, God pardoned their sin because of Job. And then some things they take from the Hebrew manuscripts, a ring of gold, not drachmas of gold. And then some things they just monkey with because they like the way it sounds better according to their theology, like every proud spirit you will smash. You're going to smash them. It's going to be so good. This is Qumran, the faithful witness to Holy Scripture, the faith, super awesome faithful scribes out there we've heard of. And this is just Job. We haven't gotten to their other stuff they did with the Bible. But it seems to me that they felt like they could monkey with it. They presumed that they had authority over the text. So now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look over their Targums of Job. And we're going to read, comparing what the Targum says to what the ESV says to what the Septuagint says. And we're going to see just how much they do this. Now, to be fair, a Targum is supposed to be a paraphrase. However, you should expect a Targum as a translationary paraphrase to give you the same thing, or at least the same message that Scripture gives. So let's look here. At Job chapter 28, verses 24 through 30. We're going to read it first in the ESV, and here's what it says. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, uh, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, when he saw it and declared it, he established it and searched it out. 
And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. Okay, that is the ESV, and here it is in the Septuagint. For he surveys the whole earth under heaven, knowing the things in the earth, all that he has made, the weight of the winds, the measures of the water. When he made them, thus he saw and numbered them, and made a way for the pealing of the thunder. Then he saw it and declared it. He prepared it and traced it out. And he said to man, Behold, godliness is wisdom, and to abstain from evil is understanding. Okay, well, there's two less verses there than there is in the ESV, but the ESV is going off of the Masoretic text and off of the Hebrew Bible. Let's see how Job handles it. Remember that his works, which they see, are great. Every man looks at him, and the sons of men from afar search for him. Behold, God is great, and his days are numerous beyond knowledge, and the sum of his years is infinite. Behold, he counts the rain clouds, and he establishes the downpours, and his clouds let down drops of water on a multitude of people. If he who spreads the clouds of his thunder and spreads his light, dot, 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 and covers, for by them he judges peoples. That's not the same, guys. You know, it is a targum, it is a paraphrase, kind of like the message for their day. You know, the message, quote-unquote, translation. That's a paraphrase. But... Here, Qumran is trying to form some sort of argument from stuff. <laughs> Premise one, God is great. That's what this passage is getting at. Premise two, every man looks at him and the sons of man search for him. Premise three, God is really great. Look at what he does with rain. Premise four, spreads the cloud of thunder. If he does that, he judges peoples. Is that really what the text is getting at? And that's just a sliver of it. So now let's try again here with Job 37 from verse 11 to 19. He loads the thick cloud with moisture. The clouds scatter his lightning. They turn around and around by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the habitable world. Whether for correction or for his land or for love, he causes it to happen. Hear this, O Job. Stop and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know how God lays his command upon them and causes the lightning of his cloud to shine? Do you know the balancings of the clouds, the wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge, you whose garments are hot when the earth is still because of the south wind? Can you, like him, spread out the skies hard as a cast metal mirror? Teach us what we shall say to him. We cannot draw up our case because of darkness. So that's the ESV here. Now let's go ahead and read it here from the Septuagint, Job chapter 38, beginning in the 11th verse. And if a cloud obscures what is precious to him, his light will disperse the cloud, and he will carry around the encircling clouds by his governance to perform their works, whatsoever he shall command them. This has been appointed by him on the earth, whether for correction or for his land, or if he shall find him an object for mercy. Hearken to this, O Job, stand still and be admonished at the power of the Lord. We know that God has disposed of his works, having made light out of darkness, and he knows the divisions of the clouds and the signal overthrows of the ungodly. But thy robe is warm, and there is quiet upon the land. Wilt thou establish with him foundations for the ancient heavens? They are as strong as a molten mirror. Wherefore, teach me what shall we say to him, and let us cease from saying much. More or less the same message. 
How did the Dead Sea Scrolls see this? With it, water, he wipes the clouds and brings fire out of the cloud. He speaks and they listen to him and proceed with their works. He appoints them over all that he has created on earth, either for striking or for benefiting the earth, either for famine or shortage, or for something good to be on it. Listen to this, Job, and arise, observe the might of God. Do you know what God has put on them and how he has made light to shine from the cloud? Do you know how to robe the cloud with might? Because your robe, dot, 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 fragmentary, for he possesses knowledge, dot, dot, dot. Do you know how to beat the cloud to compress it into a mirror? He knows. So they've remixed the text into just adding more with what Elihu is saying here to slam on Job with more of Job's apparent ignorance. Now, obviously, we don't want to be doing this for five and a half hours or like a one-year-long mini-series on Qumran and the Bible. So what I'm going to go ahead and do is I'm going to close the Septuagint. We understand the Septuagint reads a little bit differently than the Hebrew here. But because the Qumran community was more or less all about the Hebrew in a, a lot of situations here, Let's go ahead and just start reading between the ESV, going off of Hebrew manuscripts, and the Targums of Job. So from Job 38 here, starting in the third verse, from verse 3 to 13, here it is in the ESV. Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding who determined its measurements. Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb, when I made clouds its garment, and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed? Have you commanded the morning since your days began, and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth, and the wicked be shaken out of it? That's the ESV. Let's read how Qumran writes it. Please gird your loins like a man, and I will question you, and you will answer me. Where were you when I made the earth? Explain it to me if you possess wisdom. Do you know who fixed its measures? Who stretched a line over it? Or to what were its foundations joined? Or who set its cut stone? When the morning stars were shining together, and all the angels of God exclaimed together, Can you shut in the sea with gates when it bursts forward from the womb of the abyss? When the clouds were made into its robe, and the haze its swaddling clothes, can you set boundaries to it? Dot, dot, dot. Did you say, up to here, and you must not go beyond, dot, 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 your waves? In your days did you order the morning, the wings of the earth? Oh, wow, look at that. They almost translated it semi-accurately. Interestingly enough, though, when the Hebrew Bible says the sons of God shouted for joy here in Qumran, they're saying, um, angels. Angels, sir. We'll get to the sons of God when we get to our Enochian-type literature, but for now, let's say angels. <laughs> we have so many gods to show you, and so many angels and sons of gods and giants that we want to talk about, but Job is wrong when it says the sons of God. That belongs in a different category, so we're going to go ahead and say angels. 
Good job, Qumran. All right, so we're still in chapter 38. The next fragment covers from verse 23 to verse 31. Here it is in the ESV. Which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war. What is the way to the place where the light is distributed, or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain, and a way for the thunderbolt? To bring rain on a land where no man is, on the desert in which there is no man, to satisfy the waste and desolate land, and to make the ground sprout with grass. Has the rain a father? Or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did the ice come forth, and who has given birth to the frost of heaven? The waters became hard like stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades, or loose the cords of Orion? That's in the ESV. Let's read it from Qumran here. For the day of battle and revolt, dot, dot, dot. From where will the wind go out, and will it blow before him on the earth? Who fixed a time for the rain and a path for the quick clouds, to bring it, the rain, down to a land of wilderness with no man on it, to satiate the low-lying and isolated places, to produce sprouting grass? Has the rain a father, and who begets the mist of dew? And from whose womb did ice come out, dot, dot, dot? The waters contracted like a stone because of him in the face of the abyss, dot, 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 Pleiades, or the fence of Orion. So they are mixing up words here, and I will give it to them that at this point they're just targuming. They're trying to simplify the language for laity to hear. So now we get to Job chapter 39, verses 1 through 10. Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? This is the ESV. Do you observe the calving of the does? Can you number the months that they fulfill? Do you know the time when they give birth, when they crouch, bring forth their offspring, and are delivered of their young? The young ones become strong. They grow up in the open. They go out and do not return to them. Who has let the wild donkey go free? Who has loosed the bonds of the swift donkey, to whom I have given the arid plain for his home, and the salt land for his dwelling place? He scorns the tumult of the city, he hears not the shouts of the driver, he ranges the mountains as his pasture, and he searches after every green thing. Is the wild ox willing to serve you? Will he spend the night at your manger? Can you bind him in the furrow with ropes? Or will he harrow the valleys after you? Here it is in the Qumran. The mountain goats and the birth pangs. Dot, dot, dot. Their months are completed, and do you know when they give birth, delivering their young and ejecting them? And do you send away their birth pangs? They raise their young and make them go. They depart and do not come back to them. Who has set the wild ass free? And who has loosed the onager's rope? to whom I gave the desert for his home and made the salty land his dwelling. He laughs at the great commotion of the city, and his master's urging he does not hear. He chooses for himself mountains for pasture, and he goes after everything green. Does the wild ox wish to serve you, or will he lodge in your stable? Will you tie the wild ox with a yoke? Will he plow in the valley after you, and will you, dot, 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 will you depend on him, because great is his strength? So again, Targumitic language. I need to speak this. Targums were originally spoken. I need to speak this, so I'm going to make it simple for my dumb dumb laity to hear. They don't understand poetic language here, so when it talks about mountain goats giving birth here, I know that the Bible doesn't say there's birth pains here, 
but they don't understand. They, they really don't understand when God says that he's going to deliver them of their young. So instead, we're just going to go with pains. Pains. I'm in pain right now reading this. Now, to be certain, the Dead Sea Scrolls here are going off of the Septuagint for their Targum, where they're talking about pangs, because that is in the Septuagint. However, the Septuagint uses the word best translated as unicorn for the ox that's used here. So um, it's not exactly what they want to go off of, and they are, again, mixing and matching between the ESV Hebrew Bible translations and the Septuagint. Again, they picked and chose what they liked best. Here is verses 20 to 28 in the ESV. Do you make him leap like the locust? His majestic snorting is terrifying. He paws in the valley and exults in his strength. He goes out to meet the weapons. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed. He does not turn back from the sword. Upon him rattle the quiver, the flashing spear and the javelin. With fierceness and rage he swallows the ground. He cannot stand still at the sound of the trumpet. When the trumpet sounds, he says, Aha! He smells the battle from afar, the thunder of the captains and the shouting. Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and spreads his wings towards the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? On the rock he dwells and makes his home, on the rocky crag and stronghold. Here it is from Qumran. Will you frighten him, the horse, with a strong dot dot dot? His dot 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 is fear and dread. He searches out the valley, he trembles and rejoices, and mightily advances towards the sword. He laughs at fear and does not shudder, and does not turn back from the sword. Upon him hangs a lance, a javelin, and a sharp sword, and at the sound of the trumpet he says, Aha, and from afar he smells the battle, and he enjoys the rattle of the weapons and the war cries. Does the hawk get excited because of your wisdom, and spread his wings toward the winds? Or does the eagle rise at your order, and the bird of prey build its nest on high? It dwells on the rock and nest. Now interesting here. Interesting to say, though, that the hawk doesn't get excited because of Job's wisdom. But God doesn't ask him that. And it's not in the Septuagint either. Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and spreads his wings toward the south? versus Qumran saying that he gets excited because of wisdom and spreads his wings towards the winds. Okay, all right, let's look from chapter 40 here from verses 6 to 13 here. Let me turn the page. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God, and can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger, and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low, and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below." And here it is from Qumran. From dot 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 and from the cloud, God answered Job and said to him, Like a man, please gird your loins. I will question you and you will answer me. 
Would you indeed tear up the judgment and declare me guilty so that you may be innocent? Or have you an arm like God or thunder with a voice like his? Throw away, please, pride and haughtiness, and you will put on splendor, glory, and honor. Throw away, please, the heat of your wrath, and observe every proud man and humble him. And every proud spirit you will smash, and you will extinguish the wicked in their places, and hide them in all the dust and cover with ashes. I just love how polite God is in the Qumran rendering of this in their Tarkums. Oh, yes, please do that. Now, you don't get that from the original text. You get a sense that God basically explodes at Job. Just explodes with some very fierce words here. And in addition, though, at the same time as God is exploding, he still uses a little bit more erudite language than smash. You're going to smash him. And now we move on here in the ESV to verse 23 of chapter 40. And we'll go beyond chapter 40 here. Behold, if the river is turbulent, he is not frightened. He is confident, though Jordan rushes against his mouth. Can one take him by the eyes or pierce his nose with a snare? Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak to you soft words? Will he make a covenant with you to take him for your servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird? Or will you put him on a leash for your girls? And here it is from Qumran. The Jordan, its banks, he, the hippopotamus, trusts that he will get it. When he lifts his eyes, who will restrain him? Dot, 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 his nose with a hook. Will you pull a crocodile with a hook or tie up its tongue with a rope? Will you put a muzzle on his nose and will you pierce his cheek with your chisel? Will he speak gently with you, or will he speak with you pleadingly? Will he make a covenant with you, or will you handle him as a slave forever? Will you play with him like a bird, and will you bind him with a string for your daughters? Okay, interesting here that in the passage regarding Behemoth, the Dead Sea Scrolls take it upon themselves to write down the hippopotamus. Now, maybe the English translator was the one trying to specify that, but no, if they were really going to do that, they would say the behemoth. Yeah, it's fragmentary, and they would go, oh, this is the part where Job hears about the behemoth. Let's put that down in parentheticals. No, it's much more likely that Qumran said, no, 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 no. We know what behemoth really is. It's a hippopotamus, a hippopotamus in the Jordan River, which doesn't make too much sense locationally speaking, but then again, they're in a... They're in Qumran, not in, uh, not in Israel proper. So even though a behemoth is never 100% identified as a hippopotamus, they are close geographically to hippopotamuses, hippopotami, whatever. They're close enough to that in Qumran to presumably just identify behemoth as that. Yep, that looks close enough to me. Okay, okay, Qumran, you're modernists. You like to make sure that your audience identifies with what you're saying. So you'll kind of say that sort of thing. But all right, let's move on here to where Job chapter 41 is in verse 17. They are joined one to another. They clasp each other and cannot be separated. His sneezings flash forth light, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the dawn. Out of his mouth go flaming torches, sparks of fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils comes forth smoke, as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals, and a flame comes forth from his mouth. 
in his neck abides strength and terror dances before him. The folds of his flesh stick together, firmly cast on him and immovable. His heart is hard as a stone, hard as the lower millstone. That's the ESV. Now let's reread it here from the Dead Sea Scrolls. They cling to one another and no breath passes between them. One holds to another and they do not separate. His sneezing lights fire between his eyes like the shine of dawn. Torches come forth out of his mouth and they leap like tongues of fire. From his nostrils smoke goes forth like burning thorn and incense. His breath spews out coals and sparks come out of his mouth. His strength dwells in his neck and vigor springs before him. The folds of his flesh are clinging, molded over him like iron. His heart, dot, 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 like stone. So we move on here. I mean, obviously, they're, they're putting in words like incense that don't quite make sense regarding uh, good old Leviathan here. But aside from that, let's just keep moving here. Job 41, starting in verse 34 in the ESV. He sees everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. That is from the ESV. Here's how Qumran renders it. Dot, dot, dot. And he is king over all the reptiles. Job answered and said before God, I know that thou canst do all things, and dost not lack in strength and wisdom. I have spoken once and will not revoke it a second time, and I will not add to it. Listen, please, and I will speak. I will question you, and you must answer me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, and now my eyes see you. Therefore I am melting and dissolve and become dust and ashes. I'm melting! And finally, the last section here, very similar to what we had started with in their attempt at a full-on Aramaic translation. From the ESV, it says, And when did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. From Qumran, God heard the voice of Job and forgave them their sins because of him. And God returned to Job with mercy and doubled all that he owned. All his friends, brothers, and acquaintances came to Job and they ate bread with him in his house. And they comforted him for all the misery that God had brought on him, and each gave him a ewe lamb and a ring of gold. Again, mixing and matching the parts that they like. Now we have one tiny little targum here, a targum of Leviticus. And it just says here in the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, fragment one, And he, Aaron, shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat. And before the mercy seat, to the east, he shall sprinkle from the blood with his finger seven times. That's from Leviticus 16, verse 14, which reads in the ESV, And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side, 
and in front of the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. It's very interesting that in Leviticus here for Qumran, it's to the east, facing the east, kind of how uh, ad orientum is something in various traditional churches. Fragment 2, though, from Leviticus 16, verse 20, Qumran reads, When he has made an end of atoning for the house of holiness and for the tent of meeting and for the altar, he shall offer a live goat. 16, verse 20 in the ESV, again going off of more Hebrew manuscripts, And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. All right. More or less the same. Cool. Good on you for getting one thing almost right, Qumran. Now, throughout the past 35 minutes, maybe you're feeling like I am being far too hard on these people. Maybe so. However, when it comes to Bible translations and issues like Targums and how those are presented, you don't have room for error. You really don't. And you can claim this is me living in the 21st century with much higher textual standards. That's fine. Back then, they should have had higher textual standards then. This isn't me having a a cultural confusion moment where, oh, I live in the 21st century where we have to do accurate citations of stuff and precise translations of everything. And back then, just nobody cared. Well, if that's the case, people back then were sinful because you're handling God's word. And you know, everybody is going to agree with me with any denomination that actually believes the Bible is the word of God. You know how I know this? Because none of them use Qumran's versions of scripture here for their own Bible translations. None of them. Nobody is going out going, wow, you know, I really think that this was the academic take here for them to go part Septuagint and part Hebrew Bible. We really should have done that. No, no, nobody's doing that because we have better manuscripts that are more accurate, that are actually the word of God instead of people monkeying around with the text. And oh boy, are we going to keep seeing that as we go forward next week? Hopefully I can keep my anger in check, but we will see. (laughs) Amen and amen.